know what really makes us mad? Is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs. Yeah. Talk about punk! What's up, posers? Welcome to Punk Lotto Pod. I am your co-host, Justin Hensley. I am your other co-host, Dylan Hensley. And this is the show where we assign our guests a year, and they choose one punk, hardcore, emo, post-hardcore, screamo, pop-punk record from that year for us to talk about. And today we are joined by PJ Sykes. Uh, He is a Richmond-based musician, previously played in bands Hoax Hunters, and he runs the record label Cherub Records, who just celebrated their 20th anniversary. Uh, He just released his first full-length studio album, Fuzz, and uh, it's a really, really great record, and uh, this conversation is a lot of fun. I'm really glad we we got to talk to PJ. We've been aware of him for a while, and... I've been thinking since we started this show, we should have him on. <laughs> At least once we started having guests, he was definitely in my mind. So I, I was very excited to get to talk to him. It was a great conversation. Today, we are talking about the year 1989. Uh, and the record that PJ chose for us is Spy Rock Road by The Lookouts. One that neither one of us were familiar with going into this episode. So Yeah. We get pretty in-depth on this episode with about a lot of different things. You know... Uh, as usual, we're very divergent, especially in the beginning of the show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it was all relevant to the conversation and certainly to the year that we're talking about, yeah. if not necessarily the record. But there's a lot of there's a lot of history attached to this specific record in this band, which we'll get into if you don't immediately know. I'm not sure how many of our listeners are well versed in this period of punk. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to say exactly. Um, we kind of have the gamut of uh, age groups. It seems like. Um, yeah, this, this conversation with PJ is really great. Uh, talking to him was very much. It, it felt like we've already known him for a long time. It was one of those kind of easy flowing conversations. Yeah. So this is a really good one. If you want to hear more of us rambling on, uh, you can check us out over on Patreon for where for one dollar you can get access to all of our weekly bonus audio. Um, this week we are doing a five by five and as we're recording this, we haven't done it yet. So yes, I do hint at one record that I'm going to talk about on my five by five at some point in this episode. I think it's towards the end. <laughs> yep. And of course you can also pledge $10 and get access to, and uh, actually pick the album we talk about, which should be coming up soon. We've got our first one of those. Um, I'm going to have him relinquish that $10 bracket, $10 tier so that uh, someone else is eligible to pick it up. But uh, very soon, if, if you're interested in that bra- in that uh, tier, just message me too, and I can almost even just save it for you. So We'll make it work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, we had uh, a lot of fun recording that episode. I, yeah. I really hope more people take us up on that because it was a little different. Yeah, for sure. I, I really, really enjoyed that one. Um, definitely want to do more of those. You can follow us on all forms of social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're at PunkLottoPod. We have an email address as PunkLottoPod at gmail.com. We have a voicemail. It's 202-688-PUNK. And we have a sub stack. Yeah. 
punkladderpod.substack.com. And I think that will do it for us today. So please enjoy this conversation about the lookouts. say i listened i probably i think i listened to it the day it went on Bandcamp, and then it went on spotify a few weeks later right yeah yeah um Bandcamp for the first month and then Mm -hmm. uh, june 4th was the official i guess release wide distribution you know spotify apple music all those giant corps yeah so i i've listened to it probably twice now Uh, i listened to it again this week just kind of refresh for the show and it thanks it's such a great record i really enjoy it's really really fun like oh i don't want to use the word power pop but there's a pop sensibility to it and it's got real driving fun fuzzy guitars you know so that kind of fits but how how's the reaction to it been Uh, surprisingly good you know i've been putting out records and music for over 20 years now and um you know, it's hit or miss, you know, <laughs> like this, this is the record, man. This is going to be the record. And then like literally no one checks that record out. And you're like, why? <laughs> like that was the best one we ever did. You know, like you like the last one. Uh, we had that 
a little bit of that going on in hoax hunters um where you you release a record and people get excited about it and then you do the next one and you you hear birds chirping and um but yeah with fuzz it's been different i i think it just hit the sweet spot and um i i thought about this you know usually when you make something it's like trying to get people to step into your world or your your aesthetic or your thing or whatever you're doing like come over here and enjoy this content or this record or this movie or this whatever you're doing right and with fuzz it's about literally what we've all been through right it's it's kind of you don't have to invite people too far it's like this what did you do last year here you go this is this is my (laughs) expression of what we are living through and what we just kind of went through and some of the other stuff adjacent to it right so i think it's just an easy record for people to understand and get into with that in mind you know um not that hoax hunters or other things i've done haven't been but it's um and it's also got my name on it which i think you know people go oh you're in a band and then that they forget but when it's your name i've it's been a, a different experience people um check it out differently or they go they they under they have a different opinion about it before they hear it or something um, you guys have ho- heard hoax hunters, so it's not to me. It's not too far off. I, it's to me, it's the um, follow up to clickbait. It's a little different. It's got a little bit. It's pushing in some different directions, but but it's me. I mean, that's kind of where we were going. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned hoax hunters. Uh, I I really love that band too. Um, never got a chance to see you live, but to me, this record is almost like a chronological next step for what hoax hunters was doing. So like, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, that's that's exactly how I how, how I viewed it, you know. Um, and I almost released it as a hoax hunters record, but I thought it's not nobody else is on it, and um, you know it really needed to be a solo record. But to me, it's the same thing, you know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Dylan and I used to always kind of compare it to Husker Du, um, hoax hunters. Um, yeah, yeah. And then this record, Fuzz feels more like like the type of music that was coming out after like right like sugar Husker. and things yeah. like that yeah for sure yeah, like, like dinosaur or, like early sat excuse me early sst stuff is like right up my alley uh and then the progression out of that into the other stuff and that's kind of what this podcast today is about almost like 1989 <laughs> um i think that's kind of fitting you know because it's like um i i mean i love you know, minor threat and black flag and early American hardcore and that sort of thing. But I, what I love more is Husker Du and, and Dinosaur Jr. and the more melodic, weirder things that are out there. I like that stuff more. And so that's what you're hearing on Fuzz, I think, is is that, you know, definitely um, thinking about Hoax Centers, it was more trying to be a, be a power trio. You know, I didn't want to put too many extra guitars on there because I wanted to play it live with just guitar, bass, and drums. And uh, Fuzz really is a two-guitar band, maybe even a two-guitar keyboard band or something like that. Um, so it's definitely a bigger sound. It definitely is pushing in a little bit different direction, um, but it's not far off. And then I hope you don't. I hope it doesn't sound like I'm saying like derivative of just like well, no, middle '80s now late '80s. Like no, <laughs> yeah. no, no, I don't think so at all. I think that's a, a good ex, you know description of it, and that's kind of where I was thinking too, you know, for sure. Um, and, and you know, I, when I started making this record, I, it was just I thought we were going to be stuck at home for six weeks. You know, uh, six weeks was a long time. <laughs> you know, I was like, what am I going to do with myself? I got bored after three, and I was like, well, I guess I'll just record a couple songs. I don't know. I don't have anything. And I'll just you know, I was trying to play some power poppy kind of stuff. You know. And I just started writing riffs and I was like, whoa, there's like 
14, 15, 16, 17 ideas here. I guess this is a record. And I just went and just kept going. And then I was like, oh, we're going to be home for a while. You know, six weeks is not that long now. <laughs> uh, and so I started taking vacations and staying at home, obviously. And just instead of clocking in from nine to five, I just sat where you're, I'm sitting right now and just played guitar for 40 hours and re-recorded stuff and wrote stuff. And um, so I really didn't have intentions of making a record and it just kind of happened. And I was like, well, I'm bored. I'll just keep going. And I, I feel like I, I guess I just needed to do it anyway. It'd been a few years and um, also all this stuff going on. This just kind of kept me sane, you know. And so that's kind of where it led the direction of of what that record came. And I, I think that does align with the with the sound of it and uh, the progression of moving from the hardcore stuff into the poppy stuff or whatever you want to say, or late early to late 80s and that kind of progression, that kind of thing. You know, people were starting to think of things differently and um, it wasn't so insular or like, you know, people were hearing things. It wasn't just like your, your friends. It was going to be a, a wider audience, you know? Yeah, kind of tying that into our year that we're going to talk about today, like, Towards like the end of the eighties anyway, it seemed like nobody really cared all that much about like punk music, quote unquote. Yeah. And it was, it was very much like everybody was doing metal or more like just the what was becoming alternative rock, like post punk was turning into gothic rock, you know. Which we'll discuss when we get deeper on the charts a little bit, but it's eighty nine's an odd year. Um Yeah, it really was. I was like, Oh, eighty nine's gonna be this is gonna be great. And it it, it was, but as I, I think I, I always say that if I could go back in time, it would be 1987 because that's really when things really start changing. And that's where like a lot of bands like Black Flag just broke up and now there's Rollins band. And now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Revolution Summer just ended and now there's all these great DC bands, Fugazi, whatever. Like everyone's just starting Public Enemy. Like, you know, like the idea of what we think of, you know, this big appeal music of the, the bigger bands of this type of thing were all kind of rooted in this weird switch around 87 so it's like okay 89 is probably when they started putting out records and they really it's maybe more like 80 you know eight or nine or something like that there's a lot of good records in this year but um they're kind of a weirder version so a lot of their weirder records are this year you know for the band that you might associate with those things yeah before we get too far away, and I wanted to talk a yeah. little more about your record. So is this your first truly solo record? I did a solo record in high school. Um, I, I, it was my first attempt at recording. And, and well, not well, I met up with uh, um, my friend Jeff Roop. And he, in high school, the last play that I was in theater tech and, and band and marching band and all those kind of things. But I really want to play guitar. And I was teaching myself guitar. Nobody would play music with me. They were like, oh, you're too weird. You play too fast. You know, people were playing like, like my high school was really into Chili Peppers and like, you know, like the funkier stuff or what a Dave Matthews band or like those kind of things were, were getting to be big. And uh, like that stuff's fine. But I didn't know I, I was gravitating towards like, you know, Weezer and Green Day and Foo Fighters and those kind of things that were starting up those bands that were starting up uh, that, that that kind of stuff appealed to me once I found it. So everyone's like, oh, you play too fast, you play too weird. But Jeff was making music for this play. Um, and we did Ashes, Ashes, which is the, uh, it's based on the Who concert where people got trampled to death in the mm-hmm. 60s or 70s. Uh, it's a play based on that. And so he wrote the music for that. And there was a live band on stage. And so they had tryouts for the second guitar player. And I tried out thinking, I'm not going to get this. Everybody else is the guitar player in this school. 
and I got it. And so I became friends with Jeff. And that summer after we did the play where he wrote, we played on stage as a band and all that stuff. We uh, went to his, I just went to his house and we started recording all these songs I had written. And it's very poppy, you know, kind of like, why don't girls like me? You know, that kind of <laughs> dumb shit or whatever. You know, oh, this song's about being angry, you know. <laughs> uh, this song's about being sad, you know, like just real <laughs> obvious shit that, you know, you write about when you're a teenager and you don't know how to write or anything like that. But the songs, if you go, I, I, I've listened to it, I don't know, not that long ago. And it, it, the songs were pretty good, you know, at, at the structures and things like that. I mean, the lyrics and the singing were terrible and the performances weren't good, but <laughs> the, the idea of the song and how I was writing is not very much different from what I do now. Um, but that was a long time ago. And so, um, I, I that's never going to come out. You're never going to hear that music. <laughs> Maybe you'll find a thrifted cassette tape out there somewhere. Um, so this is technically my second solo record, but, um, uh, you know, I've recorded all these different things over the years. I've been in bands and like, you know, technically there are some solo songs out there or there's other recordings I've done, but this is really it. This is the, the solo record. How are you finding the adjustment? I guess circumstance is kind of why it be, you know, wound up being a solo record, I guess. But like, how do you enjoy the change or are you still like, no, the second I get, I want a full band again. <laughs> <laughs> I love collaboration and I, I definitely try to collaborate on this record. It just didn't work out. Um, I had a, I had a couple of old bandmates play some parts and it just didn't feel right. Like it's hard to get the feeling right when you're, you know, making something, you don't know what it is yet. And, um, you know, they're in a different place, you know, you know, physically, but also like we, we can't connect, you know, on the same emotional level cause we're in different houses across the city, you know, doing different things during a pandemic and, you know, whatever else is going on during the election year. I mean, it's just brutal. Right. And plus I live in Richmond with all, I mean, we all experienced the summer we did last year with all the, um, you know, protests and stuff, but Richmond was definitely, you know, mm-hmm. massive things going on with the monuments and stuff. So there was just like, it's just, you know, just heavy. So everyone was kind of a different space. So just the collaboration didn't really work on this record, uh, unfortunately, but, um, you know, it, the biggest difference is putting your name on it. People kind of, um, like I said, um, knew I was in a band, but then they forget quickly that I played music, you know, a lot of times and they're like, Oh, you're a photographer. You're this and that, but they don't remember that I played music. And so it's undeniable that it's, that's what it is with my name on it. So that's been really weird for like your average person that, you know, going like, you made a record. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it, yeah, I made a bunch of records, but yes, I made this record, you know, but so it's, like, <laughs> it's a big deal. Like it, putting your name on it, it's like kind of scary. So the biggest thing is like, name recognition for that has been weird for your average person that knows you from doing other things definitely knows you have a record out versus as you said you have your band's record came out and they immediately forgot it you know because they don't know that band name when they see it a couple of times they don't associate it with you um but yeah i can't wait to play and i obviously am not gonna play if i play solo it'll be just like electric guitar solo like i've done shows like that hoax center shows and stuff like that too um but yeah i'm looking to try to find some people to play music with and we'll play some of these songs maybe some hook center songs or we'll see we go see where it goes you know yeah for sure hopefully i will get to see you soon yeah um, i mean i would like to <laughs> do some dates out out of richmond um yeah we'll see we'll see what happens this year's yeah. a bit weird um it seems like the fall is going to be pretty good so fingers well, crossed i was talking to dylan yesterday and it was just like the week we're recording this which this episode is going up fairly soon after that so it's, it'll still be kind of fresh for everyone but like every band decided to announce their tour yesterday yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was just like, oh my god. But, you know, you're going to go broke. All that money you saved last year is gone. Yeah. You're going to have to pre-order everything, too. Yeah. Because it's going to sell out. Everyone's so yeah excited to be able to go to shows again that you're just going to have to buy the ticket eight months in advance. <laughs> yeah, and hope you can get the night off or, you know, yeah. hope that you still want to drive to wherever to see that show. Yeah, it's I, I've already missed up, messed up and didn't buy a couple of things. Um, we just bought tickets to see that um, Heim St. Vincent show, Merryweather, which will be pretty fun. And Jason Narducci is coming through. We're going to see him. Um, Donaldson Jr. I think is coming through. Not Richmond, unfortunately. But um, yeah, there's a, I think Bob Mould's playing yeah. soon, 930 Club. I bought a Bob Mould ticket. That's That was the first ticket I've bought in a long long time <laughs> yeah and i wasn't sure if i was gonna buy it when it went on sale and i was like i i don't know I don't... and i was just i, I went ahead and did it and yeah i think i think it's the right you know like you, sometimes you when you see your favorites come through and you're like oh, i just saw them like but but you enjoy it just go yeah <laughs> like why yeah. why are you denying yourself it's like you're going to be bored on Wednesday night when they come through. Just go to the fucking show. Like, it's going to be fun. You love that music. You love that band. Like, why would you not go? Um, so, like, I don't know. It's kind of like, just buy the ticket. You know, if you don't go, sell it to somebody or trade it for something. Yeah. But. You know, there's been so many times where I was like, man, I would like to go to that show, but it's a week night. Or, you know, it's like a night I have to work the next day. And you're just like, I don't want to be tired at work. But then, like, months later like i say after the show passes and you didn't go to that show and then like months later you're like you're not going to remember that well i went to work and i was well rested you're gonna remember <laughs> right. that oh i didn't go see them last time they came through and i wished i had yeah <laughs> like that was the last time they played that song or whatever it is you know yeah. like jesus <laughs> yeah i mean just yeah go and if we've learned anything from last year it's like just try to enjoy life man like go see things go support your favorite artists and, and musicians and and movies or whatever just who cares man like go do it like if yeah. you like it go do it support them um especially like you know these bigger bands like uh they're most of them are, are doing okay they probably have some money squirreled away just like the rest of us but but everybody who supports those guys the guitar techs and the roadies and the people who run the venues and they need the money too you know so um getting back out and seeing your favorite bands is important not just for the band but everything else that comes comes with it yeah the greater music industry. Yeah. So to so go buy that ticket, you know, um, for whatever it is that you like. Uh, and before we move on, um, you also operate Cherub Records. Yeah. Which has also been around for 20 years now. This is the 20th anniversary, correct? Yeah, this 20th anniversary. We're going to be announcing some stuff soon. Um, I mean, I, I'm like, I'm keeping a secret. I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> uh Five years five years ago we put out a fifteen year anniversary compilation with lots of stuff on the archives. We're gonna do another one of those. Um we're running out of really cool things in the archives, I think. <laughs> but um uh this has gotta have some pre cherub stuff on it, some weird stuff. Um and then so, like there's gonna be a hoax hunters a uh, couple of songs on there that aren't out and um uh yeah, I'm pretty excited about that kind of stuff. And then I just got a record back in my position that i was in a band called a nude on fades before hoax hunters and it was an instrumental uh sort of experimental band and uh, i'm gonna re-issue that record um with some other stuff that is like a, a live record and that kind of thing so that's awesome 
you know, even though you've been playing music for longer than the record label's been around, I guess none of those projects were like existed the entire time. So I, I, I guess to me, I feel like, wow, 20 years on like one specific project, which is just your label, but has like, I guess it's like, that's an accomplishment of something that like I've personally not experienced yet. So how is that? Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, you know, it's just the glue that holds everything together. So I, I really am influenced by discord and things like that on, on the label side for sure. And team beat and things like that, where it's like, just trying to keep things in print and, and make things available and like, um, you know, dig up some old stuff. Like to me, it's like, who cares if that band's not playing anymore? Like you can still listen to the record. Like why? Like we still listen to things that we like that are 30 years old. Like there's labels out there now that just put out stuff that no one's ever heard of. That's 40, 50, 60 years old. Like, and people are like, Whoa, this is great. So like, I, I don't understand why we are always, you know, um, hyped on what is the brand new thing that's out. Like it has to be brand new, just made all the time. And so the, the label is kind of a mixture of all that stuff. You know, it, it, it progresses, um, to, and it just holds on to all that old stuff and tries to put the, like before YouTube, you know, we had videos and I was trying to put together like a VHS compilation so people could see some of the bands that, that played, you know, but didn't get to Florida or whatever. Here's a VHS copy, you know, and so I have all these tapes that I converted, uh, you know, five or six, seven years ago, and put them on YouTube that I never did anything with. But holding on to that stuff is cool because then you can put it up on a on a thing like YouTube that didn't exist when we had captured it, you know. So I don't know what's going to happen next, and you don't either. Um, we didn't have digital music when I started, or it was kind of, you know, it was like download MP3 downloads, or it wasn't iTunes quite yet, you know. What I mean, so um, that's kind of you know, why I do that, why there's cherub. It's just to keep up with that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody, I feel like most people have an all time favorite album from a band that doesn't exist anymore and hasn't existed for, you know, 20 years, even if not more, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, there's, there's no point in just being like, I only care about new stuff. Like that's kind of one of the, like the things that Dylan and I really like about this show is that we get a chance to dive into things that came out, 20 30 years ago that we just we're not familiar with or yeah. it's a classic and you know we're trying to be like well what, what makes it a classic you know like that kind of thing so yeah we definitely yeah. appreciate people who keep things alive too because there's been plenty of things that we have come across on our show that we can't can't talk about because it doesn't exist on anywhere to listen like, right and, and you, unless is... we like soul seek it <laughs> yeah this is a great example, and I was excited that I could do this this record today because because of all the other stuff. And um, to me, like the label in my case ties everything together, and it has a narrative. And I'm trying to string along. Like if you get into me because of fuzz, then there's a lot of catch up catching up you can do. Or if you get into something else that's older, I have a new solo record. You know, like what happened in between. That kind of thing is interesting to me. You know, telling that longer story and seeing uh, an artist or a group of people evolve over time and you know what what kind of things were they into and how do they deal with these different technologies at the time and how they how did they use those things to or you know as you know but um but yeah like it's just kind of interesting now that you can um have these labels that can tell these stories but if you don't document it and you don't have it in the archive or you don't bother to take photos and videos and you're never gonna you know like i try to save whenever we play shows try to save people's instagram photos of us and stuff Mm-hmm. when i can because who knows if they take the account down tomorrow you know like mm-hmm. you think it's going to be there you know it may not be i mean 
I've even had it where like an artist I love took down all their music off of a band camp. Right. Like, you, you just don't know. That's yours. You can keep that there forever. And then for whatever create, I mean, primarily it's probably like a creative reason where they were unsatisfied with how it came about. But some I enjoyed it, you know, like there is, there's something to be said about like the ownership of music and being like, Oh, I wish nobody would hear that. But like, if it was out there and you put it out there for people to hear and they liked it, you know, then it, becomes i guess is what the death of the author you know conversation so like you put out a record but then like five years later you're like i wished i hadn't put that out and you delete it from the internet but you know those other people who are enjoying it for five years you know it's like still kind yeah of it's theirs. it's a weird it's like a weird thing because like you know obviously artist you know you can say arthur or musician or whatever you know they are hopefully you know changing over time and so like a lot of times people don't like things that they did a few years ago you know because they've moved on and to me like you know i have that conversation a lot with my friends and stuff and i'm like well do i think all the stuff on cherub is great would i put it out today maybe maybe not you know but it is a document of what it was and so i really appreciate it as as what it is and and then you can you know polish it up a little bit to keep putting it out but you don't want to change it too much or you want to kind of keep the spirit alive or you know um but you know would you make that record again probably not you know like i would or i would say it differently or you know so it's kind of it's kind of a weird thing to look back on your own stuff um or delete it or or change it or whatever yeah i also think people people forget that like there is a context with it within what people release their music through so like if you know you hear it a couple years later and you're like this sounds this is too many bands sound like this, but it's like, well, at the time, did there? Or like, or right. if there were, yeah. it was part of a greater sound that was happening. So yeah. Right. Context or was is, this band first, you know, or whatever? Yeah. So context is kind of important when you, when you go back listening to older music too. So yeah. 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 That's what's great about this time period too, is that nobody, um, a lot of people don't have the same sound, even in the same scene, they have similar sounds, but they're kind of different. Um, and I think we're getting there now again, too, because there's just vast amount of different things that people are into and choices that they can use and pedals and things like that. But um, so I think we're kind of get coming back around to that now, especially after last year. I think we're going to see a lot of weird stuff and different sounds and, and vibes. Yeah, I've talked about on the show before about like how like 2020 was horrible for a multitude of reasons. But and even within the music industry, but even then there were a lot of amazing records that came out last year. Mm-hmm. Like 2020 was a strong year for records. <laughs> yeah. The, the creative output was, makes it one of the better years for music, obviously mm-hmm. like, you know, venues closing down and no one, you know, able to tour and make a living making their art was mm-hmm. not good. <laughs> right. Yeah. Easily yeah, the mean, worst I mean, year for the industry. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, sometimes uh, this is going to, I don't want this to sound bad, but, um, you know, this, this halt of, uh, industry is going to probably lead to some kind of innovation too, because I mean, look at schools and stuff We've you know, everybody's had to pivot and use zoom and things like that. Um, and work and things like that. So some of that stuff's going to stay around and some of it's going to get better. I mean, even zoom, like if you use zoom last year, how, crappy was it the first time and how much better was it by the end because they kept improving things based on feedback they weren't getting that much feedback before now they have like 
way too much feedback, you know, and they have, they know exactly what people want in a product, you know what I mean? So I, I don't know. I, I think the same thing is true about art and music and stuff. You've got this time on your hands and, uh, endless, um, resources as far as like, you know, ways to record yourself on your own computer and things like that. Now, um, we're going to see some innovation and in products and, and, uh, ways of thinking and, and how people perform and, or they don't perform or they don't tour, or they tour in different ways or, you know, venues are going to do different things too. I think to survive, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. And I don't think it, it's that nothing's ever going to be back to normal 2019 style. It just won't be. No. It'll it'll feel like that. Maybe maybe at a lot of places or things will be. You know, um, we can go back to doing a lot of those things, of course. But there just there'll be different ways of doing things, or slightly better ways of doing things, or maybe we'll still wash our hands more, hopefully, or you know, like <laughs> you know people. You know, people wear masks when it's cold season or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, the, you know, just kind of simple things. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe there'll be more virtual shows on top of regular shows. You know, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. I've definitely seen, and I have said this, I do hope that live streaming becomes uh, more a part of the live music experience. Um, like, I know that they weren't easy to do for a lot of artists. Hopefully, that will just be something that can be done by the venue or done by people who just do that exclusively professionally um just for accessibility reasons like right to make it possible for people with disabilities to enjoy your music in a live way without having to go to an inaccessible music venue right yeah i mean there's so many reasons why that would be good for people um but uh but when we did my my last band hoax centers recorded a record called clickbait and i thought it'd be really funny if we did a virtual performance to release the record because we was just we were trying to be just forward thinking different this was like 2015 2016 and we we had done all these things to try to figure it out we were going to be basically in a home studio with everything mic'd up and we've done some tests and all things but i couldn't get anybody interested in watching it they're like oh live band on the internet that's crazy i was like no this is going to be the future i don't know when but we're gonna like well, i if i can do it in my own home and i'm excited about it i'm not the only one like there's no way that this isn't going to be a thing people are doing it it's just we're a punk band or whatever and that's weird to you or something like i don't understand um so we almost did it but um i kind of wish we did because we were like three or four or five, five years ahead of what people are doing now but um um it's interesting to think about what the kind of things we were trying to do um, right ahead of what people actually had to do, you know, but, um, yeah, I, I hope that, you know, I, I think you, you know, you have a good point. It's like people who can't go to shows for various reasons. Um, this is a great way and especially extra income for bands and venues, right. you know, it's an easy, easy thing to do. You know, you can Very charge five, 10 sell. bucks to see it. Yeah. Or maybe just part of the show, you know, like, yeah. Oh, the first hour or whatever, or only the headliner or whatever. I mean, it'd be really cool, too, just to even be like, even if you physically went to the show and you you were there, you also can have access to the the yeah. digital, you know, the filmed version of it. So I, yeah. everybody gets a little bit of a kick out of watching a, a video of a show they were at. Oh, yeah. To, and like, oh, look, there I am. I'm, there's my head bobbing <laughs> around. You know, like that kind yeah. of thing is always fun to see. And then yeah. like it, it helps you like capture that moment more and like keep it in your head you know because a lot of times you go to a show and like it's, it's all in your head memory so like you better yeah remember that <laughs> that you went and if you've gone to so many shows over the time over years you're gonna forget it's like oh yeah i forgot i saw that band play live like 
at least this way you could have access to it you know and it, it has its applications dylan yeah. that's your that's your industry you need to start working on in la yeah, yeah get on it <laughs> gotta learn how to yeah that's a lot of technology to learn yeah <laughs> but yeah i mean i i think it i think more of that kind of it's the pivot to video but i mean i think i think we need more of that because i think we need for for documentation reasons for you right. know for posterity to be able to have old footage that you can go access from you know and and see what those shows were like and what those bands were like it makes it possible to watch a band that is really small and can't do a national tour and just plays the east coast like maybe one of those gets live streamed and then everyone else in the country can watch them and you might find out you have a lot of fans in a place that's worth right. scheduling a tour to, you know? Yeah. And in, 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 in the context of this podcast and what we're talking about too, it's like, we're just talking about band bands. I mean, pop and R and B and hip hop and other types of genres are already doing this. And so yeah. it's like band bands just are like yeah. so stubborn and it's so annoying that, that um, we're guitar bass and drums. We're going to do it this way. It's like, why, why though? Like, like because it's fun of course but like but there's other ways of engaging people and doing things that are fun and and um you know um i love playing in front of a live crowd there's nothing better but you know maybe i can't do it as much or maybe i can't tour or maybe i can't um and that's you know why i explored it with clippy was how can we tour without touring you know uh, and you know one of my favorite big big bands is foo fighters you know shit on them or not for some people like them and some people don't but they they've for years have done like free online concerts you know to promote their shows but also just like um you know sort of making it available and making themselves you know accessible to more people you know and they've done a really good job of putting on free online shows um, before the pandemic you know the last five ten years you know um you know you can say it's promotion or whatever it is but like it's still like I got to see them play at my home. You know, I can't always go to a concert or they're not touring through or whatever. It's cool to see them. And it's often free, you know, sponsored by Budweiser or something, but you know, it's <laughs> yeah. free. Yeah. You sit through the sit, sit through the Verizon ad or something, but um, it's still everything you know, else you watch has a commercial in front of it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you pay exactly. a subscription to Hulu and you still have to watch commercials. Right. <laughs> I'm paying for the honor of watching a Verizon commercial. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, but, but, you know, they're one of the bigger bands that have done that. And I don't think there's a lot of other ones that have done it as much as they have and made it accessible as they have. There, there could be, but I, I, I haven't seen it as much, you know, I mean, they're also one of the bigger, bands. but I mean, you don't see Green Day or U2 or other large bands, Rolling Stones or whoever the biggest bands are. They don't see those type of bands doing this as much or at all if there's not a charge for it. Yeah. I love this conversation we've had going, but uh, I guess we should probably actually talk about <laughs> get into format. So uh, the basic premise of our show is we assign our guests a year and they choose an album from that year for us to talk about. Today, we gave you the year 1989. Let's start today. 
And before we get into the record you chose, let's talk about a couple of other albums that came out that same year. Um, yeah. Uh, are there any that you were? I know, I know we talked a little bit early on when we were scheduling this episode. You had a couple records you wanted to talk about. So, what were some of those records you, that you almost chose for us to talk about? Yeah, I didn't want to pick something that was super obvious, like people already know or they talk about a lot. You know, like Nirvana Bleach. I mean, great record came out in '89. Um, like Soundgarden. Those kind of things were all starting up and coming out. Fugazi has. I guess it's an album. It's kind of an album, I guess. It's Margin Walker, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, again, like, you know, there's enough podcasts and conversations about these bands. So, or, you know, these topics. So, uh, and other 89 records that came out that I thought would be really cool to talk about, but um, maybe weren't, uh, I don't know. They're, they, they meet my definition of punk, um, but maybe aren't punk to some people um like the b-52s cosmic thing you know like that came out massive record but like what a weird band to be a massive band right um neil young freedom rocking in the free world like that song alone ushered in what came after it you know that and it's just kind of a weird like neil young foreseeing the future a little bit you know but beastie boys paul's boutique and a lot of the hip-hop and stuff that was coming out at that moment um, De La Soul, like p- the, the things that were like a lot of sample based records that came out that you can't do anymore. That that to me is super punk rock. Um, I think Public Enemy maybe had a record out like those those that this is probably the last year of those kind of records where you could sample without the court cases and stuff happening, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then there's like sort of that alternative, like you were saying, alternative pop gothy thing that was going on, like The Cure and Nine Inch Nails first record and. Um, then there's like massive bands that are not punk rock at all, like Tesla and White Snake. <laughs> probably, probably everyone's more familiar with. Um, but you know, the record I really wanted to pick, um, and maybe this, this to me is kind of punk rock, um, by my definition is Prince Batman soundtrack. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I got it on vinyl a while ago and, um, it's fucking weird like he basically <laughs> writes the story himself as and he plays de- several characters and songs and then there's a the bat dance song is is kind of cheesy when you think about it but then if you actually look at it and kind of study the lyrics and stuff it's kind of weird and fucking like just pushes all these different weird boundaries before anybody else does it in a song for a movie like this is all <laughs> very forward thinking like who let this guy do this right like like it's just bizarre it just seems doesn't seem as bizarre now but to me, like this is like he's playing like uh, turntables in that song, but it's just like whoosh, whoosh, that weird sound is a turntable. <laughs> it's not like scratching. He's like slowly, slowly moving the record around to make noises <laughs> and stuff. It's bizarre. Like that record is bizarre and um, not aesthetically punk rock, um, but um, to me, like pushes back on everything. And he, he like how dare him rewrite the story of the movie he's you know, putting a soundtrack on for like, he just does it like, and they let him do it. Yeah. He, yeah, that record, he had like free reign to do whatever he wanted. I mean, and then they also turned around or at least the, the composition, the Danny Elfman composition. Yeah. too. So like for those purists, I guess they can, they can listen to that. But if you want like a truly unique experience, it is weird. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the movie. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, he wrote a whole record based on his idea of what Batman would be or the movie Batman. <laughs> uh, anyway, that, that kind of 
thing was interesting to me, uh, and maybe some of those are, are punk rock and some of them aren't, but to me, those kind of made sense in my definition of like what punk is, you know. But um, yeah, we ultimately went with um, the lookouts. Yeah, before we dive too much into that, though, I guess um, I usually like to ask Dylan, uh, if you were the guest on the show, what records would you pick for us to talk about? Um, I don't know. It's such a weird year. Like we, yeah. we kind of touched on, I mean, you know, some of what you talked about is like clearly not punk and wouldn't fall under the punk umbrella, but what does fall under the punk umbrella is also not really punk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, grind core, more of angels first record, um, thrash and more. It's like this rap metal hybrid with punk, you know, like, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I mean, you've got some ska punk, even you've got youth crew. You've got, I mean, there's, you know, as far as what's actually punk, um, there's weird records by big names like Brain Drain by Ramones. Yeah. Um, Which I listened to this week and like it has a lot of big songs on it. Like it, it's probably like the last record with the most yeah. recognizable songs. Also, Slint um has their first record tweez which i thought would be cool and um definitely influential but you know and to me is punk but sound sound of it is um probably more metal um, or like post-rock or something it's not it's pretty metallic-y sounding yeah i think what happened with like a lot of the punk bands they all for the most part like if you look at this this list we're we're looking at our usual rate your music list who's the most like punk rock band that's still on this list it's bad religion right Bad religion yeah like everything else is like morphing into more like noisy stuff or like yeah and it's like 10 years out from american hardcore bands starting up you know like Mm -hmm. and it's like you know 10 to 12 years after you know punk started ish you know like mm-hmm. if you want to call it 77 or whatever uk stuff whatever so you're kind of a decade out from that um which means and you know there's been so many things going on with innovation um you know drum machines and keyboards becoming more popular and uh technology like recording is you know becoming digital you know but there's still that huge underground of weird music going on that where people aren't really talking to each other. And so each regional ha- region has its own weird, mm-hmm. weird, you know, stuff going on. Um, so you're seeing the tail end of that stuff happening before, you know, the explosion in the nineties, of course. Um, but there's not even a lot of grunge. I mean, there's that Soundgarden record and um, Nirvana, which, but those are still small bands at that point, or, you know, like they're club bands or whatever, you know, they're not mm-hmm. like, you know, hitting the radio or whatever yet. Yeah. There's, like some early lemon heads mm-hmm. um and even like kind of some early sort of shoegaze stuff um yeah it hadn't you, quite taken off yet you want to call band of susan's shoegaze <laughs> maybe not i don't know um sugar cubes did you say that uh no th- that sugar cubes record is very strange <laughs> yeah i mean again like it's just like oh, the cows had a record that's pretty uh noisy punk rock stuff yeah dead moon i don't know if the, i'm not super into dead moon i know a lot of people are yeah a lot of people love dead moon though which yeah. that's probably only this high up on the list because of retroactive like interest in yeah that. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but like but uh, go ahead the only the only really i feel like the only really focused 
thing that's happening in punk rock in in 89 i want to call and i've had this conversation on twitter um and i wanted i wanted to ask you this because i'm i'm wondering if you're maybe if you're aware of it or if you've come across it or read it or heard it when do you think the term post hardcore was really coined because i want to say 89 is like the true year one of post hardcore because you've got rollins you've got slint you've got bitch magnet you've got a little bit of uh late late revolution summer stuff still kind of going on and you've got the first like you've got margin walker you've got you know the first fugazi stuff i think it goes back to that 87 comment where it's like that's really the pivotal switch you know like there's the word emo is being floated around and things like that but it means post hardcore really yeah you know it doesn't really mean what you think of emo in the early 2000s or whatever um or even the what, 90s or whatever was the term emo coined before post hardcore i probably. feel like somebody probably said post hardcore referring to probably I, I, embrace the rights of spring but i, I feel like, like everyone I, just calls themselves post hardcore at some point and it's just yeah. it's so silly it's like like hardcore obviously means like, you know, American, you know, like really fast and like minor threat and that kind of stuff. But like is but then if you with that kind of definition in mind, are are like Black Flag really hardcore, you know, especially later, you know, are they like are they just a punk band? Like what like what 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 does it all fucking mean anyway? Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, like shoegaze it kind of makes more sense that like there's another genre of this other stuff or whatever, but um but then like then you have a band like the cure that can fit into any of these things maybe not hardcore but like they could be emo they could be goth they could be alternative they could be shoegaze on some songs they could be i mean they're just so it's really i don't know de- defining things is really tricky i don't know when post hardcore maybe you know between 87 and 89 makes sense that those kind of terms started popping up because there's just so much going on and it wasn't new wave it wasn't pop like when when does pop punk start? Like the same thing. Right. It's like around the same time, people started defining these things. Probably power pop was probably a word by then, you know. But that was more like, you know, AM radio stuff, but with like distortion, you know, mm-hmm. or like there are, like REM or something. Maybe it would be power pop at some point, you know. I don't know. Um, so I don't know. I I just. I, I I get kind of annoyed with these terms sometimes because it's just like <laughs> people get so angry about it. And it's like who who cares? Like right. like you know like maybe this band is a lot of different things, and it's you know to me like well, like I said, Prince Batman to me is punk. <laughs> but if I said that, I'd probably get beaten up on Twitter about <laughs> it. Um, but at the same time, I don't fucking care because you know it it meets my definition, uh, you know my aesthetic definition of what what that means to me and i don't know that word post hardcore i don't know like you know what 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 were fugazi called when they first started hardcore probably emo i think they were still calling them emo yeah because that's why you'll you'll occasionally hear people call fugazi emo core like early yeah, or fugazi. emo core yeah yeah and then they started I mean, putting core behind everything yeah yeah i mean i can see that on the on the basis that it's ian mckay and Guy pidgeotto from embrace and rights of spring doing a band together so but yeah right. i mean and then if you're on the west coast and you're trying to describe a band coming for the first time and you're going to put emo or something on there because you're like well embrace and rights of spring okay well these guys okay it's probably this and you're just guessing yeah. you know <laughs> uh, and th- this kind of brings up an interesting point because kariki just started up right the band that has joe and right, Ian right. and amy 
um, which is basically somewhere in between the Evens and Fugazi. But they made a, a big point about not really posting a bunch of music online and like not putting the record out yet and like doing this is the last band I saw before the pandemic, actually. But um, but they wanted you to come see the show first and then tell people what you thought of it. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. It's like, well, what does it sound like? Well, you're just going to read about it in a magazine or a zine or whatever, and you don't get to hear it unless you go buy the record when it finally shows up at your local store. So you're going to describe it as post-hardcore or emo or something based on the people in the band that you know or in other bands that you're familiar with. So it makes sense that this these terms would come around in this part of the 80s because there's a lot of different changes happening and bands, members that are switching you know, up where they're going, you know. Um, you know, like Rollins is another good example. Like he's touring around the Rollins band. Well, the early Rollins, Rollins band is kind of funky or metal or something, you know, mm-hmm. or like, but it's still basically Black Flag vocals yeah. on top of it, you know. Yeah. Um, so what is that? I, I mean, I don't know. He was, you know, post hardcore, I guess. Uh, I mean, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. slower and still aggressive. Um, uh, it's not metal, but is yeah. it? <laughs> I mean, they're not playing like crazy finger tap solos or something on it. They're not like they're not a thrash band for sure. But um, but, you know, they, they, I don't know. The subgenre thing is just really weird. I'm always I'm endlessly fascinated with subgenre stuff. I just I like talking subgenre just because I just get a kick out of talking. Yeah. But ultimately, my I'm the first person who was always like it's punk. Like, I'm definitely always like, it's just a punk band. Like, and it's like, what kind? I mean, I like, I like talking about that, but like, yeah. I call, I call like so many indie rock bands punk all the time. And people are like, oh, that's an, that's an indie rock record. It's like, sure. Well, then you go to the record store, everything's under rock. Like, yeah. everything ever is under rock. And then, unless they're, you know, their skin complexion's a little different and they're in a rock band and they're in the R&B section or something. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, that's not, that's not a, that's a rock band and that's definitely not a rock band. But <laughs> like, you know, like the record store is just weird. And then you go to another record store and it's like 50 different subgenres. Like, well, where yeah. the fuck do I find Fugazi? <laughs> is it under indie rock? Cause that's where you put it or punk or like post hardcore or like, you know, like underground music or alternative or like what? Like, like I don't know. Like, I remember in the nineties, what I didn't know anything about music yet, and I was I didn't I don't have an older sibling or, um, you know, family that lived closer with cousins that were older. So I was kind of discovering things as I would discover them. And you would go to the record store at the mall, and it would just have an alternative record in cap. And so I would just go to the thing that said alternative because I knew that to me meant the bands that I kind of liked hearing. I didn't know what these bands sounded like and they were all vastly different sometimes. And I would just pick out a record based on the cover because you couldn't really listen to it. And I got the first Weezer record, I think because those guys looked kind of cool. Like, like, Oh, I kind of look like those dorks on the cover. That's going to (laughs) be kind of fun. Right. Um, the blue record, you know, where they're just wearing Mm -hmm. like, you know, garage, you know, shirts and shit like that. And that's like, well, that's what we felt like and dressed like. So I'll pick that record up. You know, and like the Offspring record or whatever, it's like this is gonna be kind of cool. But yeah, uh, but that 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 title kind of helped you out at that point before they got too big. I was gonna say, yeah, alternative is is a nice umbrella term because it like it kind of does just kind of give you like, well, I mean, it could be indie rock, it could be goth rock, it could be punk. They all fall under the greater alternative umbrella because it's meant to be an alternative from 
used to, it used to be meant to be an alternative from top 40 rock music which was right. not the same thing now you know since the 90s you know top 40 rock music <laughs> became alternative music and then after that i don't even know what top 40 it's rock music like, is now they're just indie <laughs> Like, you know, Arcade Fire is indie rock. I'm like, well, yeah. are they, though? Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, the sound, I guess, but like not really even the sound anymore. <laughs> but it's certainly not what it means to me. It's so bizarre. But like, you, OK, well, I get it. Like, if you like that music, you're going to like Arcade Fire. That makes sense. Just like our like alternative, like, well, Offspring is a punk band and Weezer is like a power pop band produced by the cars mm-hmm. like Arcasic. it's like those are vastly different bands you know uh in the same category next to each other like okay it doesn't help you at all if you don't know what those things sound like in 1993 or whatever it is you know and you're just picking up records off the shelf you have no idea so yeah I, people definitely have it much easier today in the sense that you can listen to a whole record now before you buy it, if you if you're if even, you even into buy buying, <laughs> yeah, if you're a physical medium person, yeah, yeah, there's definitely that whole like, well, I bought the CD and I didn't like most of it, but I'm gonna <laughs> force myself to listen to it until I like it. <laughs> that is definitely a lost something that, like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna be like old man. It was better then because it wasn't. I mean, I definitely had plenty of CDs where I'm just like, I don't like this. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm stuck with it. But I, I do I do think that it's very easy for people to sample like 20 seconds of something. And I'm saying this as someone who does this. Like, you can listen to like 20, 30 seconds of something and go, eh, move on. And yeah. you just yeah. never, you don't give it any time to become familiar. Like, my, my wife listens to a lot of the same songs and i kind of poke fun at her for doing that like kind of just like this is the 40 songs that i'm listening to for a while but she's also said like i I don't like things the first time i hear them like i don't like something the first time i hear it i need some familiarity like so that's why she like gravitates towards artists that she already knows she likes like there's something about them that yeah she consistently enjoys so she listens to that artist a lot so it, 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 I do think that people have, by and large, have forgotten how to sit with something that doesn't immediately satisfy their cravings and acquire a taste for it. Yeah, and and you know, I, it's easy to say, well, it's because there's so much available and it's so easy, but that's not really why. Like it's like, um, you, it's a, it's a habit. It's a, it's a thing that you need to define and set set time to do, you know, or or just we just need to change how we do it. Um, having more things doesn't mean we have to do it the same. Like it doesn't mean you have to listen to more of it or, or less of it. It just it just means you have more things, you know. Like as you get older, you have a whole house full of books and records. Do you listen to all those things all the time? Like, no. <laughs> well, you get around to them or maybe you never listen to them or maybe you listen to or watch things a lot of times, you know. Yeah, it's just kind of weird, but um, but yeah, um, I don't know subgenres. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think we've talked definitely a lot about a lot of different things, and we've not quite really got to our record yet. So we're like almost an hour in, and <laughs> yeah. we haven't touched the record. So we gave you 1989. You selected the Lookouts, Spy Rock Road. <laughs> Thank you. 
uh, stats on the album. So uh, the Lookouts were from Iron Peak, California, middle of nowhere, California. They formed in 1985. This is their second and final full-length studio album. They do have a full-length demo, supposedly. But uh, this was released on Lookout Records. And the personnel on this album is Larry Livermore on guitar and vocals, Kane Kong on bass and backing vocals, and Trey Cool on drums and lead vocals on a couple tracks. The album was produced by Kevin Army and the band as well. And uh, some additional musicians. uh, Lint, a.k.a. Tim Armstrong of Rancid, plays guitar on Living Behind Bars and Sunny Boy. And Kevin Army plays acoustic guitar on the Green Hills of England and Red Sea. And... That'll be all I say for now. Um, first thing I like to ask our guests is what made you choose this album specifically to talk about? Yeah, so I again, we, we kind of went over what was out there, and I just thought picking something that uh, maybe a lot of people haven't listened to before, but maybe have some familiarity with uh, might be kind of fun. It's a pretty good record. It's not my favorite record. I've had a copy of it for years. Um but uh, what I like about it is it kind of um, is a really good example of what was going on in that scene that's not super big. So, like, um, you know, from that scene, you have Green Day and, you know, uh, Op Ivy, which came out this year as well. Uh, you know, bigger bands that or bands that became cult famous or bigger bands from that scene. But um, this record kind of sounds like m- maybe most of the other bands you know, maybe a good example of what everything else kind of sound like. Um, and I just rewatched yesterday. Um, the, there's a documentary on the East Bay punk scene, um, called turn it around and you should definitely check it. I liked it the second time I watched it more than the first time actually. Um, but, but, um, what, and maybe my opinions change just based on last year and, and things, you know, thinking about things and whatever, but, um, the, 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 the lookouts, you know, Larry, um, was influenced by the things that were going on. He's a little bit older at that time. He's like in his thirties. Um, he's looking around at, you know, post Vietnam San Francisco area and like, um, hippies and rednecks and things are going on, you know, the, that kind of thing. Um, and punks kind of starting up and, um, you know, San Francisco is a pretty, you know, feral ground for lots of different culture things, not just the, you know, late sixties, but you know, um, comedy and, uh, LGBTQ and like lots of, lots of cool things have happened in this town. So punk kind of, um, almost got pushed out to Oakland and Berkeley because there wasn't any room left in the city. Like they just weren't booking as much of it or they were, bands were having a hard time or there was, uh, more violence in the, in the city when they went to go play. So these bands end up going out that way. And then these people from out in the country where Larry lived, he started seeing these bands. Um, but the, I think, um, what they ultimately do is, you know, um, this is like the second generation punk out that way. So you had dead Kennedys and things like that already. Um, and this is a few years after that, that the scene, um, but maximum rock and roll kind of those people started a venue called, uh, 924 Gilman or Gilman project, um, because they wanted a positive place to play where there was no violence and there was no, you know, all these things, no drinking and that kind of thing. So um, I just thought it'd be cool to talk about that because it's just this fun like scene where they really try to do positive things and try to, a lot of the bands have, you know, openly, you know, gay members and, and members of different races and, and women and, and like just like, and it's, you know, just a cool um, little scene. And, and most of it's pretty positive and, and pretty um, poppy. 
and um, you know various versions of that um, for each band. But the Lookouts kind of think you know Larry ends up starting Lookout Records, you know, to put out these bands. Um, but I don't know. It's it's the the story of that scene is kind of wrapped up in this in this uh, record a little bit before it kind of disintegrates and and things kind of fade off as they do after you know five or ten years. Sure. Um, my what I like to usually say is like kind of like my opinions or takes on the bands prior to like listening to the album for the show. Um, but honestly, I didn't have much of an opinion on the lookouts before. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people do. That's kind of the reason why I wanted to pick it. It's like, Oh yeah, sure. That lookouts. And then that's it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, most people don't, I don't think I knew before that, that lookout records was started because, the the name comes from this band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the guy who starts the label named after his own band. Yeah. yeah. Um. But the cool, like, he finds Trey. You know, ends up being in Green Day because he's his neighbor. Yeah. And like this, he's twelve years old, and he's just going wild in the backyard. And he's like, that kid might be like, maybe he can play drums. And he brings him over to his house and teaches him how to play drums as tw- as a twelve year old. Never played drums before. So he's responsible for for bringing this guy into the world basically and the uh, bass player uh, he he had never played bass so he's got two preteens in his band and he's like 30 <laughs> something which is kind of weird um, yeah. but good thing he's a wholesome dude I guess and um, it seemed like he was the dad for a lot of people in, in you know a lot of different ways but um, he really looked out for for these kids and these other bands and like and you know took care of people and, and helped foster all these things that happened so yeah, that was definitely my like initial. I was like, "Huh, okay, this band. Oh, okay, Larry Livermore's in this. Oh, this is where Trey Cool came from." And then like I was reading more into it, I was like, it "Was twelve? And the other yeah. guy was fourteen? <laughs> and Larry was in his thirties when they started?" <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh, but they what? also lived in the middle of nowhere, right? Yeah. He was neighbors with the kid, and he was just like, well, come play drums, you know, like." I, it makes more sense when you do have that context of like where yes. they lived and like yes. super rural, mountainous. You know. Like yeah, his dad. Um, one of the things I thought was really cool about Green Day when I first got into him as a teenager was that Trey Cool's dad drove the bookmobile that they they toured in. They had an old bookmobile they toured in. They was like <laughs> promos on MTV or something. Like you know, like oh, they're this big band. Like no, they're in this like shitty like. It looks like a food truck. It says bookmobile on the side and his, the drummer's dad's driving it. He's like an old <laughs> truck driver. And so in the, in the documentary he's talking about, he's like, yeah, on this side of the mountain or the hill, or wherever is all the hippies. And on that side, is all the rednecks mm-hmm. and that's Larry, the punker. And so like Larry, the punker is kind of like this guy that just like sees the good in people. Is he a hippie? Not really, but he's definitely not a redneck. So he's kind of that in between. Like, I think why he, why I think, um, Trey's dad was like, yeah, this seems like it's going to be okay, yeah. you know, and lets his kid run off with this guy and play shows and things, you know, I think he understands like this guy's got good intentions and it's kind of a, it's kind of a cool thing to see that, you know, it's mm. I, maybe even very, not to bring this up again, but very, very similar to a lot, of, a lot of other people that ran off and joined bands like Dave Grohl, like his mom's like, you're going to be fine like this. Like it makes sense that you understand their cut, their kid when they go to do this thing with a weirder you know thing like you know mm. an old, like an old man's band or something you know or, <laughs> anyway yeah it's definitely an odd dynamic that yeah you need that full context with and plus Larry Livermore's <laughs> reputation going forward he's just he's known for just being like a really nice like person yeah. and like responsible yeah. for helping a lot of bands get their start mm-hmm. like 
it's so funny because I was looking at I was like looking at the Lookout Records discography and like I always associated them with like the the, the bubblegum pop punk like the yeah. the Ramones core bands like those things and then I forget to that they also put out stuff by like Avail like yeah <laughs> and, yeah like later in the yeah after Larry gets rid of it to yeah. the guy that does all the artwork or something. Um, they start putting out bands that are not from there, like a veil and engine down from Richmond was like one of the last bands, Ted Leo, like near the end. American steels on there. Bratmobile was even on there. Yeah. It just, yeah, definitely didn't make any sense, you know, as far as sonically or regionally or anything like that. Yeah. But even still, like even, even though it's after the point where he sold the label to that other guy, like it's still part of the history of that label. So it's really cool that it like, it, it, it has like diverging paths, but yeah. Across the window, I engage across the door in the whole neighborhood. Looks like the middle of a war. We fall from the back of the dead of night. Windows rolled up and the doors locked tight. We up the alley, trying not to make a sound. I was looking around, but what might be coming down? You know, we haven't got a nickel, no, we haven't got a dime. Can't even get a one back up, we haven't got the time. We push and pull to some bureaucratic slots and never lie. Find a way into plastic box. I don't know why it is that people have to live like this. Gotta get out before it's too late. to this record i actually kind of talked a little bit too we were just kind of like we'd each listen to the album and both of us you said you said this a little earlier that you think it's just like you think it's a pretty good album but it's not like your favorite mm-hmm. and so like we were both kind of wondering like what is it about this specific record that makes it so something that you suggest we want to talk about and now knowing like the fuller picture of like mm-hmm. the who it is what it is the fact that the years are teens on this record like yeah i mean you can hear like Tr- trey's a fucking good drummer mm-hmm. and like not having ever played before and this is his like he's only a few years into playing drums at this point on the second recording wow like yeah it gets off here and there there's there's some like flubs or like whatnot but it's like light years better than what i was doing at that age like <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean or anybody i know like wow you can you can hear the talent you know um, and that these guys are pushing each other and, and trying to do different things, but, but also like how weird the guitar stuff is on songs like alienation where he's just like, I'm going to do this weird guitar pedal and like chord thing. And like, they just did lots of weird things. Cause like, who cared? Like, like, yeah, you know, they just like the songs about alienation. Let's make it sound like it's that, you know? <laughs> um, and then if you go look at some of the other stuff, like the other bands that were doing things at the same time in that scene, they were also doing kind of weirder things. So we think of the Mr. T experience and we think mm-hmm. of Pansy Division and Green Day and things like that because that's kind of the overarching bands that you know everybody can get into. But Isocracy and uh, this band and um, uh, Blatz, which is one of my favorite bands from that scene, they're, they're just kind of weird. They're just doing weird things, you know, because um, they're just entertaining each other you know, and writing songs and, and, and trying to be cool with each other and, and having parties and stuff. Um, I think my two favorite songs though, are the ones that Trey sings. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I, my favorite songs were the ones that Trey sings and Tim plays guitar on. Like yeah. those were like yeah. the ones that I was like, 
Well, I like that best. Uh, that would be what, see, that Girls from Outer Space and, and Sunny Boy. Sunny and Boy leaving, are all... living behind the bar is pretty good too. Mm-hmm. That's the one with I think Tim's on guitar on that one. Yeah, because he's not on the same songs. He's like on. Yeah. Yeah, and then. But and the the cool thing also about the record, which is another reason why I wanted to pick it, is because it's the same guy who does all the artwork for the first you know amount of releases, and they only had like one color you know, uh, print. So it's got that. Oh, you can't see it. It's green yeah. screen. <laughs> well, it's green. It's like the first green. It's like her plunk. And it's like, um, 1039, all those in uh, op IV, you know, like all that, like, um, cool artwork. But on the back, there's like these comics and stuff that look like a lot of that stuff. It's the same artist. Um, so as far as like aesthetically, it just feels really fun and cool. And like, um, Definitely, you can see what's about to happen by looking at this record and listening to it. It's like, oh my god! And the I think the other thing about this is that these guys were playing before Gilman Street. They, they helped build it and open it up, and they were playing shows before that. Um, so that's kind of cool, right? They they were around before that, but uh, Green Day, who were far farther, well, they're called Sweet Children at the time. They're farther away from this area, like farther out into another area of California. And they kept trying to play Gilman and they were like, nah, you're too poppy. You can't play here. Like, so no one ever heard them. <laughs> so like the lookouts were playing and, you know, Mr. T experience and um, neurosis and bands like that were playing <laughs> Gilman. Right. Uh, and they never let sweet children or green day, whatever play, um, which was bizarre. And so, so they, so Gilman actually closes in 88 after two years because the people who run maximum rock and roll are like, not having it those people are just going crazy over there and like there's been some skinhead violence and stuff mm-hmm. um so that they eventually reopen gilman and um green day gets to play with op ivy and everyone's like holy shit who are these guys and then that's where all the stuff really picks back up because everyone just thought this band was a, a joke or a pop band or whatever and then they play and everyone from neurosis to everyone was just like turned their their heads just turned like who are these fucking kids you know and then eventually they go on tour and um and around 89 is when all this stuff's going on but the lookouts are are you know they're starting lookout records and there's just a lot packed into this one year for this particular scene before it explodes yeah i pulled up i pulled up uh lookouts releases specifically for 1989 and like just this, here's a couple of things that were released that year uh operation ivy released energy which is a gigantic mm-hmm. record um green day released the 1000 hours ep they did 10 7 inches i think is that it they were trying to do 10 7 inches i think that year or that 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 period of time that makes sense because then they do uh crimp shrines uh quit talking claude ep mr t experience so long sucker seven inch which i think some of those songs would wind up on the next lp there's a neurosis ep uh mm-hmm. aberration uh, and then there's a couple other bands like I didn't really know very well, but like those were like the big ones. And so, yeah, it's like this very fertile ground for yeah. what was about to really blow up in the 90s with all yeah. of those bands. And it's all the same people and they're all it's the same people making the artwork and the same people doing the door. And it's just it's just I don't know. It's just kind of cool. And I thought that um, to me like this, this, this kind of this record kind of sums that up. If you don't know the other stuff that's going on, check out this record first. Get a, get an idea of of you know the positive vibes and like the, the weird different songs. Like to me, it doesn't sound like an album almost. It sounds like a collection of different types of ideas. You know, 
Yeah, it was recorded in like three different studios too. Yeah. Yeah. So like that probably lends towards like the like cut and paste sort of mm-hmm. feel of this record. So I know we we try and judge things in context for the scene and time, but then also at the same time, if you take the record purely as just this is the re- just the record, like you put it in the narrow lanes of like you put it in a vacuum of like this is the record, listening to it, what do you feel? Like ha- uh since you chose it, like listening to it, how do you feel about it? Uh, listening to it, it's, it's a fun record. I, 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 um, like we pointed out the, the better tracks, you know, I, I would probably, uh, DJ a few of those Trey singing songs, not because it's Trey, just because of those, those songs kind of stand out as like, you know, good, fun songs. Uh, overall, you know, it's fine. Like it's, it's not a, like I said, it's not an amazing record. I think it just tells a better story than it is a better record. Okay. I was kind of worried that whenever like we got to this portion of the show that you would be mad at my opinion. No. No. Like <laughs> um, everyone's you know, entitled to it. So ultimately I probably didn't like it all that much. It it's just very rough and all around all over the place, really. Yeah. Like this is one of those records where I would just be like, Yeah, I'm probably not gonna listen to this again in the future. But that being said, there are probably like four or five tracks on here that I'm like, okay, I really, I do really like that song a lot. Like, I really liked the Green Hills of England, which yeah, is that's like, a kind of cool song too. It's like a very different sounding song for the record because it's got a lot of acoustic in there. It feels like a British folk song almost. You know, I guess with the title, you can he's probably going for that vibe, right? Ultimately, <laughs> but then there's yeah. songs on here that like I just do not like. Yeah, <laughs> like There's a I couple did. of weird things on here. There's like, okay, I was not a fan of alienation. Uh, I was not a fan of trees. Like a lot of these songs, just like they go on way too long. Yeah, because they'll have a couple of like fast punk songs, and then they'll have like a five minute song called trees. And you know, and alienation is also almost five minutes. But and you know, you can see, you can hear like, just like I think Trey's dad pointed out, like they're stuck in this like. On this hill, there's these old hippies, and then on this other hill, there's these rednecks, and like there's the um, atmosphere of like, you know, what's going on. Reagan was the governor, and then he's about to be pre- or he's president now, and so like, um, they have a better understanding of what's going on in the country, maybe because of, of that, and like I don't know, just like a so the songs kind of are, are like more like almost like a a throwback to the hippie pre-punk culture. Maybe he's got those songs laying around or those ideas laying around before he discovered punk. And started yeah. being in the lookouts, you know, so it's kind of a weird, like, you know, throwback or something. But yeah, are they are they great songs? Not really. <laughs> but um, but that, but, you know, I think that's again, that's kind of why I wanted to, to, to bring it up and, and to talk about it, because it's so easy to go back and listen to Fugazi or Op Ivy or all those other great records because they're so good. And we listen to them. We talk about them mm-hmm. all the time because because we should.
think of it. I know a little bit of what you told me, but uh, we try and keep our like opinions on the records like secret before the recording. But there are some times where we're both I'm like, the, I'm usually the one who's like, this isn't good. <laughs> or like, oh, fuck, what am I going to say about this? I mean, my 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 opinion ultimately is that it's not very enjoyable to listen to, but it is very worth. I'm glad that I listened to it uh, for all of the reasons that we talked about. Like, it's where does it fit in the context of punk in 1989? I mean, just looking at just looking at what falls under the punk umbrella in 89 that we talked about earlier. It's like this is more purely punk if you want to have like a really strict definition of that genre than most of the bands that were making music at that time. And Lookout yeah. Records is very much responsible for kind of, I mean, I mean, defining pop punk for the nineties, I think like look, mm-hmm. California in general. I mean, SoCal definitely, you know, the skate punk scene has a lot to do with that too, but those two things aren't, you know, they're not islands. Like they're, they're very much connected in a lot of ways. You know, I'm sure that East Bay punk bands were listening to SoCal punk bands like yeah. they were playing together. So there's a lot of cr- that cross pollination there. And it's it's from those two scenes that that very defined pop punk sound comes from and where that idea of what punk is sonically more so than any other period of time in punk rock. Like, I feel like it's more unified going from this point on yep yeah then it was prior because you look at i mean 77 the uk punk thing is it's pretty consistent but you look at the 76 77 american counterparts and it's not at all right <laughs> yeah and i think that just it's the regional thing too it's like the stuff in the la scene kind of sounds similar and then yeah this stuff kind of sounds similar and the stuff in new york and the stuff in dc and but as people start hearing these other things, now we're 10 years out and this scene pops out and just kind of isolates itself and kind of redefines what you're saying. I mean, Jawbreaker comes out of this after that. Right. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of crazy that 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 late, you know, 10, 12 years later that there's there's still this thing popping up and has such a big inf- uh, effect. I mean, I guess you could say that about Seattle, too where it ha- happened at the same time with grunge and things like that. So yeah. there's two, those two scenes are, are definitely going to, you know, make their imprint on the nineties right here. You know, um, this maybe, I don't know what would be the Seattle grunge equivalent of this band. Like, um, what's the, uh, pre green rivers. Is that the band I'm thinking of that kind of thing? Oh yeah. The one where that like, like everybody talks about as like, they're like yeah. the dead moon of like the, right. Uh, <laughs> Seattle yeah, it's scene. like you got to check out this record. And like, cool, I did. Now all these other bands came out of it and influenced all these other things, and they kind of set the mark. And I think that's what these bands. There was nobody who quite set the mark here. I think they all were doing their own thing, and they were very encouraging of each other to do their own thing, which I thought was unique about this particular scene because there are a lot of similarities. Um, especially that Op Ivy guitar sound is basically Billy Joe's guitar sound. Um, <laughs> it's the same almost guitar amp pedal combination sound for some reason um before he takes it in a different direction you know but um uh but there's not a lot of other similarities like they're like there's a really gruff you know voice over here there's a really poppy squeaky voice over here you know these people are singing about this thing these people are singing about that thing um whereas in seattle it seemed a 
a lot more of the same thing, you know, a little bit more of a cohesion thing going on between them. There was a split, I guess we're getting off, but, <laughs> but you know, I mean, before Nirvana came along, it was more similar type mm-hmm. of things, I guess going on. Yeah. I, this listening to this record though it kind of reminded me of uh not that long ago dylan and i talked about the the flex your head comp from yeah. discord records yeah yeah and if it, it has very much of of similar vibe in the sense that i feel like this record is more important from a historical perspective than so much of like just a purely enjoyability factor and that comp feel, felt the same way to me because that comp was also full of teenagers playing <laughs> three songs you know like you know it was like if you just listen to those songs in a vacuum you're like most of these either sound the same or they're not very good right there's a handful of people on here that are really really good but yeah it's, it had the same like yeah it's interesting and historically important but eh, i'm not necessarily gonna throw it on <laughs> to listen to <laughs> one thing i did in the pandemic early on too was um go th- i went through the catalog of discord and team beat and things like that and started putting a playlist together and I tried to put a song or two songs or whatever from each release. And, um, you know, I'm a big Discord fan, but I found that, like, man, there's some real highlights in that catalog, of course. But then a lot of the other stuff I just don't like that much, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's fine. The stuff I like in that catalog is some of my all-time favorites, and I always go back mm-hmm. to. Um, but there's some clearly talented people, and then there's some just average people in there, you know? Um, which is totally fine. And it's exactly what's going on in this. You, you're exactly correct. It's like, that's what's going on in this scene too. And this record falls in that, I think probably in between, it's like, it's not the worst band. It's not the best band by, by far, but, um, a lot of merit and there's a lot of reason to check out this stuff and understand what's going on and hearing that stuff in context. And, um, yeah, this is exactly why I wanted to pick it. Yeah. They're definitely further along than some of the other bands at this point. Like, you well, know, he's this like is an 40 at this point. Well, yeah, yeah. But I mean, even even in like their career yes. as a band, yeah. like they've already done a full length before this record even came out. Yeah. Like I was looking at it like, yeah, he, he uh, Trey was 16. If if we're going based just on like between 85 and 89. So if you add the years, he was 16. Um, Kong was 18. Right. But then even Larry was like in his 40s at this point. Right. Like, when this record came out. Right. He's yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to think about it. I'm like, if I were to put two teenagers on stage with me right now, that'd be weird. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of reminded me, like, uh, I was talking to a friend, uh, our friend Corey, who's been on the show a bunch of times. Um, I was talking to him a few weeks ago about, like, the Linda Lindas when they got signed Mm -hmm. to Fat Records. And then, like, I was telling him, I was like, oh, this is really cool. They got signed. And he's like, yeah, I think they sound bad. I was like, but I also think all teenager bands are supposed to sound bad. Right. Because... Like, they, that's the first thing they've ever done. They're children still. <laughs> I mean, it's still pretty incredible what they are doing. And yeah. they obviously have a good system of parents and teachers that are helping them along the way there. Um, who cares? Like, some people are like, oh, look at those adults. I'm like, who the fuck cares? That was awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm stoked for that record whenever it comes out. And I'm sure when I'm listening to it, I'm going to be like, yeah, that's written by children. I mean, yeah. it's cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> and not everything's for us either, too. You know, right. it's like, do I need to hear that record? Not really. Like, I, I know what they're doing. This is great. But there's a yeah. whole lot of people who need to hear this record. Yeah. yeah. A whole Very lot true. of people. And a that's going to speak to those people, hopefully, and especially kids and, and young women and other people um, that need to hear this music for the first time ever. Like, you know, that's that's great. 
Like they don't always need to go back to bikini kill or Fugazi or whatever, you know, like we need new bikini kills, new Fugazis, new beastie boys, new, whatever. Like we need, like who, like we don't always need to go back to the same people. Like there's like, it's not, it's somebody else's turn. And yeah. that's what the Linda Lindas are doing right now. Right. Um, maybe that's the end of their career. Maybe one of those people goes on to do something forever. I don't know. We don't know yet. They don't know yet. They're still children. Right. They don't know so yet. <laughs> let them blow people's minds and turn some heads for a minute. That's great. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I do very much get annoyed by people who are like, like there was a ton of discourse about the Olivia, Olivia Rodrigo record when it came out. And a ton of people were like, it's just the same thing as we were listening to. It's like, yeah, but it's now. It's like now. It's, and it's also really good. It's it's like for people now. Like, I yeah. get it. You can always go back and find something. But right. people want to be a part of it. You know, we're talking about things that are popping. And like, if you actually listen to Machine Gun Kelly, have you had to experience that? Because it's like he's I think. Uh, Travis Barker is playing drums on it. So, okay, now you're a pop punk band. I think it's the meme, mm-hmm. like when he joins your band or whatever. But it sounds like he's like sixth wave Blink 182 or something. Mm-hmm. But then, like, also a SoundCloud rapper at the same time or something. Mm-hmm. It's, in my opinion, really bad. But then mm-hmm. Olivia Rodrigo, 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 yeah, yeah, Rodrigo, Rodrigo. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, I actually liked that second single, Good for You. I thought that was. Like, you know, maybe she didn't write it or she had help with it. I don't care. It's good. You know, it's got elements of different things and it's speaking to the people listening to it now. And um, it's it's quality, you know. Yeah, I was definitely like like I knew that driver's license song before that record came out. And then but then people were talking about how it's like, oh, it's got it's like, you know, like early 2000s emo vibes to it. So I was like, what? So I gave it a listen. And that first song has some strong Paramore vibes to it, which is pretty cool. Wait, nice... somebody's got emotion. Yeah, and then like the rest of the record, I, there's like a bunch of songs that are just more like that driver's license song, and yeah. so I was like, ah, it's not for me. But yeah. like, I like the it was real like there's like two really powerful yeah. rock songs on that album. So yeah, it, like you said, it's for now. It, the people yeah. who need to hear that are hearing it now. Yeah. So <laughs> and they don't need to hear you know Jimmy Eat World Clarity or right. whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't be like the guy who's just like. <laughs> they should be listening to Pinkerton. It's like, well, Well, what did you listen to before Pinkerton? (laughs) Fucking asshole. Right. It's like Pink Floyd or whatever. Dad was into, you know, Jimi Hendrix. Like, yeah, I like that stuff too. And then I got into the stuff that was out when I was out. And then I got into the stuff that was after that. And I'm still getting into the stuff now. Yeah. It's not always for me. It's not always for you. It's for whoever, you know, (laughs) go check it out. Go listen to something that's a hundred years old. Go listen to something that came out yesterday. It's all cool. Go yeah. do it. Yeah. Definitely doesn't have to be a month's long discourse about <laughs> about it. It can just it's pop record. It's pop record. It's just, a lot of people always have to hate on everything too. You know, it's yeah. like move on. Yeah. Right. Like I'm not, I'm not into it, so I'm not I'm not gonna listen to it, and I'm not gonna spend time talking about it. Like yeah, I, I try really hard not to uh, be negative online about anything that's art, unless it unless it crosses a weird line or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, like machine gun Kelly thing. Like, I don't, I don't like them. Does anybody care about my opinion about machine gun Kelly? <laughs> no, <laughs> moving on. Right. <laughs> but if I do like something, I try to champion it. Even if yeah. it's something that people don't think that's cool or that think I'm not cool for liking it or I'm too old or I'm a dude or something. Who the fuck cares? I think that Heim record is great. 
It's a pop record. It sounds like Sheryl Crow and other things. Whatever. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> we just lived through a fucking pandemic and an insurrection. Fuck off. <laughs> I need a pop record right now, you know? <laughs> you yeah, know? I definitely... You know, in my young, earlier, you know, like in my 20s and early teens or late teens, I was definitely more like, a, I have to make my opinion known on this thing that I don't like. I have to let people know that I yeah. don't like Nickelback. It's like you and a million other people don't like that band. But of course you don't like Creed. Who cares? Right. Like, you know, you, you grow up like unless I'm like specifically reviewing it for review purposes. But yeah. I, I also don't, you know tend to publish that stuff just in out on main street you know like <laughs> if 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 i'm gonna do an episode of this podcast and like say it's a record that i don't like it's you know at least it's not like you can just search their name and it'll show up you know like in twitter or like facebook or something like that yeah. or i'm not tagging the artist saying right hey i don't like your record you know <laughs> yeah I, I was thinking earlier today, like the days of Justin and I spending a whole episode shitting on a record are far in the past at this point. Mm-hmm. And I'll stand by whatever I don't whatever I said about whatever record we have gotten bad reviews for not liking. Yeah. Whatever. If you you know, <laughs> if I'm prompted to talk about it, I'll talk about it and say what I feel. But I'm not like I don't need to like sit here and tear apart this record made by made for fun right yeah by teenagers primarily right <laughs> for for their friends like they yeah. didn't think like that i think you were reading the bio I was, I was reading it earlier it's like he's he's recounting it just like last year and he's like oh we're making more people are hearing it now and more people are buying it and listening to it i'm we're getting more money for it in 2020 than we ever did before which again goes back to the point. It's like, well, people can check it out. It's easy to check it out, but it's like, you know, things come back around, and um, you know, maybe it's maybe it's not for teenagers and that insular scene anymore. It's just for artistic um, archiving, you know, uh, reference point type of thing, which is kind of why I like it, you know. Um, but um, there's a lot of weird records I'll buy, like when I see them in the used bin, if they're from Virginia or something like that, and I've never heard of them or like, it seems like it's recorded at an adjacent studio to the things that I already know or something like that. I'll check it out. And almost all of them are pretty bad, you know, because <laughs> I haven't heard of them. Um, but you never know. And it's just cool to check it out and be like, Oh, this is what was going on in 1982. Okay. That's pretty weird. I bet they never thought I would hear it in 2020 on my record player in Richmond, Virginia, and they made it in Raleigh or something, you know, like, you start thinking about it that way. It's like, well, where are these people now? You know, like maybe they're doing something cool. Maybe they're not, you know, yeah, I mean, um, but we've released music like Dylan and I were in a hardcore band, like not quite 10 years ago at this point, but like occasionally, I mean, I assume they're bots most of the time, but we get yeah. like weird likes on Facebook for it. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. Do you really like this? Or are you just like a click farm where you're just like, you're required to like all this stuff. But even still, what if someone comes across, I never expected anybody to come across it. Like we had somebody in Russia write a review for it when it when we first put it out. I never expected that. We, Check this uh, shit out. Okay. We had I noticed a I looked it up our EP up on Write Your Music sometime last year and I noticed that it had there's maybe like three ratings and one of them is probably mine. <laughs> <laughs> but I noticed that someone had rated it in like 2019 or 2020 i was like yeah who found this yeah 
where did they find this? Yeah. And then they were like, three stars. I'm like, yeah, it's three stars. Right. <laughs> He's right. And He's you should right. say it. <laughs> but like, I'm, I'm mostly, I'm just like, that's really cool that I made something that someone randomly found in probably the same way that I randomly find shit all the time. Because right. I do this. Like, I dig through. Yeah. You it's know, like stuff internet and, digging and through the crates. Yeah. Yeah. So I had the same thing weird. So one of my friend's bands, you guys may not remember this band from the 90s from Richmond, uh, 30 Day Warranty. And they were late 90s, early 2000s. Their first out-of-town show was with us in Lynchburg. Their parents drove them down in a minivan. <laughs> dumped them out. Um, teen, pre-teenagers or teenagers playing pop punk. And, you know, we became friends and uh, I went on tour with them several years later once we could all drive and things like that. And uh, they were super into Green Day and and the East Bay scene and all that stuff. Like, so, so much that one of the members after this band broke up moved to, the, to to be at this. He lives down there and goes to see these bands and plays in bands with these people and that kind of thing. So um, I know he's going to be checking out this uh, playlist, this podcast. Um, but um so they were in a, a pop punk band that, you know, sounded like this stuff and also like a Vale and Richmond kind of things. I kind of took ownership of their catalog a little bit and kind of kept it alive um, on the Internet and interest in whoever. And I posted some CDs that I had in my distro on Bandcamp when Bandcamp was kind of new. Uh, when they first did the merch thing, I was like, okay, I have all these extra CDs. I'll just put them on there and see what happens. And of course, no one's buying this old catalog of CDs that no one cares about in the first place. And I, then I get an order for the 30-day warranty package. I'm like, okay, cool. No problem. This is exciting. And then I look at closer. I'm like, Russia? Like somebody in Russia yeah. wants to buy this? Okay. So I, I wrote him like, hey, man, this is super cool. I'm definitely going to mail them to you. But like, I don't know, like you need to tell me like if there's a way to get this to you, that's going to get to you. I don't yeah. know. Like Russia might kick it back or, you know, like <laughs> if you mail something to like China or things like that, sometimes it doesn't get through or whatever. But so I was asking him and he, he, this person told me the story of he heard one of these songs on the radio, on internet radio somewhere. And that's how he got into pop punk. That Whoa. 30 day warranty song changed his fucking life and <laughs> got him to green day and blink 182 and all. I don't know how he heard it on the internet. <laughs> but he heard, and he's been years of searching to try to find that song again. And I was the one that put it back on the internet and he bought the CDs. I'm like, what? So, so I was like, dude, and I've just made the biggest box of CDs. I, I gave him everything, like all those, all my old bands, flyers, stickers, buttons, like anything that could fit into this box from that time period and just shipped it off. I've never heard anything from him since. Yeah. But it's like, this is so cool, man. Like, I don't care that I'm losing money on this shipping and all this stuff. I'm like, you got to have this. Like, you, you, this changed your life. This one band song, you got to have all these things. And I, it was so cool. And like, that's what happens. Like, somebody, you know, gets into something randomly and that's, you don't know what it, you know, he's got one fan in Russia. That's super cool. (laughs) We have a buddy who runs a record label too, uh, Bitter Melody Records. Um, and, he regularly sends like packages to a record store in Japan of That's like cool. whatever he's putting out. A lot of yeah, they love CDs there still. Oh yeah, yeah, they're huge in the CDs. So I like some stuff. So like he's just sending like all these like they're semi-regional bands. They're not necessarily like the biggest bands. They're the t- also the kind of bands who like they put out a record and they're probably going to break up. But like right. you know, 
you put it out because you like it and you want to take a you know be a part of that story and hope maybe something else happens but you know it might not but like even those cds are just being like shipped to like japan and to be sold in a record store there and they sell or you know yeah because there's somebody there who's just well, they're like from America, and it's like this thing that they can't have, and it's like this cool. <laughs> like, I mean, imagine seeing like a a weird Japanese indie rock band or a punk band in your local store. You'd be like, whoa, yeah, like that's twenty bucks. I I, I guess I have to get it. Like this right. is gonna be cool. Like you know what I mean? Because it's something you could never get or hear otherwise. <laughs> that's that's what it's all about. It's like just kind of cool, you know. Which I guess is why we should say never talk shit on something on the internet. I don't know. Where. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, maybe don't do it. Just be, I mean, just like, I think, again, look, going to full circle after watching the documentary again, it was maybe after because of the year we just had, but like how much positivity they were trying to do. Like, let's just have a good time. Let's not have violence. Let's not, you know, be racist. Let's not do these things that we, we all kind of it's it's. It, this is like 1989. This is this sounds like we're talking about today, mm-hmm. you know. Like this, this was not normal in 1989. Like this was the 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 safe space that people like this could go and make weird art, and and they did some weird shit in that place, you know. Um, but uh, you know, just try to enjoy some stuff, make some fun art. Who cares? Yeah. Make make a uh, make a record while you're stuck at home during a pandemic. Um, Absolutely. In a election that could go crazy and <laughs> insurrection and caps it make a record uh why uh why don't you tell people where we can get that record <laughs> yeah so Bandcamp is preferred of course because they are awesome so Bandcamp, you can just go to my label is chair records um so chairbreckards.com will take you to the Bandcamp. um pj sykes on twitter instagram all that stuff you can get it that way it's on spotify and apple music and youtube and all the other places that you pa- pandora i i jokingly um this is why you don't joke right here. I jokingly found searching it that it's on Pandora because I just yeah. distribute it everywhere. And I'm like, who listens to Pandora anymore? I guess whoever started listening to Pandora when it came out and just didn't stop, I guess, <laughs> you know, like people who still use iTunes or something. Uh, and I tweeted it out and somebody was super excited and they listened to it and they shared it and like, okay, don't make fun of it, man. People listen to it there. <laughs> that's fine. I, I don't care. Just get it wherever you get it. Like that's fine with me. If you do want to know the preference, it's Bandcamp because it it is directly to me, and um, you can get a CD there if you want a CD. Absolutely, we'll include links to that in the show notes. Um, and lastly, uh, what is a we like to ask our guests to shout out a nonprofit or a charity that they would like to like our listeners to uh, look into or donate to? Yeah, it's Pride Month still when this airs, and even if it's not, you should do this. It's uh, Quality Virginia. And they just, uh, you know, lobby and and do all kinds of great things to make sure that we're doing as as good as we can um, here in Virginia. And they've been around for a long time, and and they do great work. Um, and uh, it's a it's a really good, you know, uh, if you're gonna advocate for um, a group of people, this is the kind of place that you want to send money to um, when you don't know where to send money, you know, for Pride Month or something like that. Equality Virginia is a, is a good place to do that. Awesome. And I'll include notes to, uh, links to that too in the show notes. Man, thank you so much for doing yeah. the show. This is a yeah, great conversation. Thanks. Yeah, and I'm glad that um, we got to talk about something that was a little, maybe not a huge hit, you know, um, something to have conversation about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think sure. we talked a lot for a record that I didn't know anything about prior to this yeah. episode. There was yeah. plenty to say. 
Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, like, what's there to say about the Pixies? You know, or it hasn't already been said about, you know, whatever, Nirvana yeah. Bleach. Yeah. I'm sure we could all find something, but would it have been something that hasn't already been, yeah, you're right, hasn't already been done a hundred times before. Yeah. So. I'm sure every five years they re release it, you know, and like, oh, it's yeah. the 25th anniversary. Now it's yeah. the 30th anniversary. 35th <laughs> yeah. anniversary. You got to get the 40th anniversary. <laughs> you want to hear my thoughts on Doolittle by the Pixies? Uh, subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah. that's where I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> well, I, you know, and I, that's a band that I never really quite got into it because it was kind of hyped up too much. Yeah, and I just never got into it. I don't know why. They're a great. They're a great band, but you know, we get to have the hindsight like of picking and choosing their discography too. We don't necessarily have to be like, oh, every record they released is fucking incredible, which we know is not true. That's not true for most bands. You know, <laughs> I like that they're still on their reunion tour. <laughs> and then they, they've probably been on the reunion tour longer than they have been a band before that. Now, I, mean, I saw reun- reunited in in Francis using the name and playing those songs. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of like weird. And like a lot of bands Kim do is, that. Like is done. She Kim's stopped done. a few years ago when. But Breeders I think the rest of them are still there, right? Santiago and the drummer. I, I would just rather see Frank Black do his Frank Black thing and play Pixie songs. Yeah. You know, I think I would be more excited about that personally. Yeah. I saw that do little like tour where they played it from beginning to end. It was fun. They played all the like the other hits from the other records, too. Oh, that's like it's kind of like the question people give out, like the, the solo record versus hook centers. Like, will more people come see me as a solo artist? Probably because my name is more recognizable. But like, it's the same show. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it would yeah. probably be it, the band will probably have some of the same people in it, you know, mm-hmm. or or people that are just outside the circle of what the band was before. It's it's, you know. Yeah. Um, but if I put hoax centers on it, will people show up? Maybe, maybe not. You know, yeah. maybe maybe a reunion of hoax centers would do better than my own thing in a few years. I, it's weird. Like, who knows? Who knows? It's all just guessing. Basically. It's all guessing. <laughs> and it's it's kind of silly, but um <laughs> I'll 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 play the hoax in her songs probably if I play live because right. only one record I have a bunch of other songs I could play. Yeah, 